it's quite a moral kind of blackmaily type um type approach where it's like okay you know proxy war has all these costs but the one thing you can't do is let let putin win again because he will start getting ideas above his station and will conquer the whole of europe or whatever well i mean part of that question obviously uh, hinges on what you see as putin's war aims in ukraine and his broader project but i think we know and i mean we'll come on to this is putin is actually pretty weak domestically or has been and to a certain extent has to rely on this sort of nationalism to bolster his legitimacy um but we'll come to that the reason why i chose this piece actually is because i think it provide some window, I guess, into what Western and specifically American calculus is here. Um, and there's, in that regard, you can see why the US would want to continue a proxy war. Of course, they don't have to bear the costs of it. And so you can kind of see, provides a window into that calculus. There's something which is unsaid here, of course, which is that if the US's aim really is to wear down Russia as much as possible, and I think this is a plausible interpretation, which is that the United States' aim is to turn Russia into not just a pariah state, but effectively a failed state, um, then drawing it into a quagmire in Ukraine would be a good way to do that. And I suspect that might be part of what the United States aims to do. That, Russia. that would so be a different... And, that, and so the perpetuation yeah. of the conflict, not through direct engagement with them, but the perpetuation of the conflict in Ukraine to draw in Russia as long as possible um, might serve that. Now, well, I mean, there, there's lots of reports, of course, about demoralized Russian right. troops, about them fragging their generals and so on. And it's impossible to know whether that is reliable information or not, because you have contrary information saying the exact opposite as well, coming from the other side. Um, but, but if that is the case, then that would... Uh, certainly bolster the Americans' strategy um, or, or the plausibility of that strategy and that, you know, Russia would be drawn into a Ukrainian quagmire. I agree. But that would be a more honest analysis than the one that's given here, which essentially, as Phil says, it rests on this idea that not the kind of a, a consideration of the, although this, although the author does kind of start with this kind of quite balanced at, at like here are the costs and benefits of proxy wars the ultimately the conclusion is that we we have to have a proxy war because you can't let putin win i mean that's the that's um that's where the analysis slips into a kind of kind of moralism because it doesn't continue as you were sort of saying alex that by saying you know the proxy wars could represent a, a good strategy and could actually have a, a higher benefit than cost I, I don't, for, what's the moralism know, there? I don't understand what the what the moralism is. Talking about emboldening Putin and saying that you know no world leader today, it, it's personalizing all around the like one individual bad man basically, and saying you can't let him win, you can't let you know he he can't be emboldened to to take further steps and and there to be a wider conflagration. Well, it's I like, mean, it, Russia, that's a classic. That's a classic. centralized around Putin. So I think it's I, like it, it's not about. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any time for demonization of Putin or of Russia, obviously. But yeah, but it's again, I mean, it kind of it that require you know that frame requires the kind of um, ignoring or omitting the fact that Russia is essentially reactive. You know, not only weak, but also reactive in this situation, lashing out at NATO encroachment. And I mean, you know, that's already, you know, that's um, not accepted, but a familiar, you know, not accepted by all, but certainly a familiar element in the debate that this is a war that is in reaction to NATO encroachment. Actually, and so the idea that it's, you know, that this was kind of um, signaling a Russia that's ready to take over the world and that if we don't fight him in Ukraine, we'll be fighting him on the beaches. You know, that is kind of obvious I, no, nonsense. I agree. I, no, no, I agree. I, to raise a question, actually, um, which is uh, worth discussing, 
is how do we read a lot of the ideological dressing and putting it that way already kind of uh, I guess uh, gives light to what I think about a very it. neutral way yeah, to but, frame but the, the ideological there. dressing that accompanies it so you know I agree that Russia is reactive that's always been my understanding of what Russia's approach to its so-called near abroad has been especially um, in Europe uh, against NATO encroachment but of course all the ideological justification that has come along with this is all about Slavic brotherhood no, creating you know taking over novo novo russia um which is there in the south of ukraine i think i think, that, I the, think the kind it's pronounced of, with uh, a russian accent not with a latin accent no i can't well I'm, I'm, I'm i haven't started learning russian yet so we'll have to wait on that um but uh and and this whole kind of orthodox national not orthodox nationalism but like orthodox russian nationalism yeah um, so i mean i know I mean, so um, I know some people have taken this, you know, some people have taken this quite seri seriously, like um, the, like uh, the editor at um, at uh, Unheard, Aris Rusinos, he's taken this kind of civilizational conflict quite seriously. Rod Dreher, who writes for the American Conservative, who's himself Orthodox Christian, has picked up on the elements of the disintegration of the Russian Orthodox Church and how that was um, kind of spurred by the Americans and has made the case that, that the secession of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church from the Russian one is kind of an important part of the conflict. And I mean, I'm, I'm more skeptical. I think it's more, I think, so Russia is still kind of trying to claim its defense of a pluralist world order governed by the UN Charter and under the supremacy of the UN Security Council. And that's been the consistent thread in the way in which Russia's justified its approach to international order. And so if you want to maintain that, how do you maintain that world of independent sovereign nation states and their right to be free from foreign interference while at the same time justifying um, uh, so-called special military operation in another country. Well, the way you do that is by denying that that country is really a state, an independent mm. nation state at all. So you deny that it has any meaning or coherence. It's an artificial construct by the perfid, you know, by Lenin, the perfidious Bolshevik. Um, and in fact, it's so deeply intertwined with Russian history. It doesn't. Re it's not really entitled to the legal and political defenses that come with independent sovereignty. So that's, I read it as a way in which Putin is seeking to justify the invasion while also trying to maintain a pretense towards an international order based on state sovereignty, which has been Russia's position for, um, you know, since the end of the Cold War, essentially. So I'm, I'm more skeptical. I mean, I'm sure the civilizational rhetoric goes down well in some kind of Russian nationalist quarters, but I don't think it's, um, I'm not, it's not the way to frame I think the vision of international order that is, um, you know, that's prevalent in the Kremlin. That'd be my mm. take anyway. No, I find that very convincing. Yeah. I mean, just, just to ret return to, to the piece and, and one problem that I think, I think basically the, 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 the sorts of analyses that I guess sort of most, I, I find the least useful are ones which are either grounded in uh, Putin's psychology. Um, and this, you know, the author of this piece talks about, uh, Putin's imperial fantasies and it's like this isn't I just I think if you've run out of other explanations you go to kind of the psychology of of, of a leader and that's not very useful and those I don't find particularly helpful the other are about the the, the eternal Russian soul I mean not many people have actually been uh been using this analysis but I did um have a conversation with a 
a friend who is an IR scholar and they were saying that this is you know this is one way to one way to look at it not that not a way that they were endorsing but this kind of idea that you have this um <clears throat> kind of permanently morose warlike people who are just looking to invade left right and center just uh, um, for, just for the record that friend wasn't me just for our listeners so <laughs> no no I, I i mean they're a they're a listener to this to this podcast I, I think they might well end up hearing this and they can they can comment if they so choose and and defend um th- their their picture of the russian soul um no but i think yeah it's like <clears throat> those sorts moving to a more like real like even a, a basic assessment of interests and costs and benefits which i think some of the you know particularly one of the other pieces does do just way more useful and way more like likely to to generate a good explanation and actually to be able to predict what might happen next there's the other so, i think there's another element i would want to add to this piece about its political naivety so you know it's a very kind of clever it's a very it's a very good analysis of proxy wars you know i mean it I, not obviously i'm left cold by its attempt to justify their need for a proxy war in Ukraine, but as a general analysis of proxy wars and how they grow in inverse proportion to the spread of nuclear weapons among the great powers. Um, so, you know, all of that kind of, um, you know, all of that is convincing, but where it's, so it's kind of the clever, you know, the clever military strategic analysis, but lacking, but then very politically naive, because on the other side, you can't take the American state as some, uh, you know, kind of efficient, calculating machine that is unitary and mm-hmm. cohesive you know there's going to be so many kind of American you know multiple American interests within the security state within the American kind of um, you know deep state within among American kind of politicians and political factions who will all have different views about how far to push this proxy war whether to seize the opportunity to you know mount regime change in Russia by proxy whether, you know, when they can call it off, when they can't call it off. And so the idea that it can be conducted with, um, you know, kind of easily, not only in terms of what happened, you know, he assumes it'll be easy on the American side and difficult on the Ukrainian side. Whereas the reality is not only will it be difficult and bloody on the side of the Ukrainian side, it will also be difficult on the American side because there'll be all sorts of conflicting political pressures on the American side, and you can't guarantee that people like him, you know, the smart, strategic, calculating thinkers, will be the ones who will be calling the shots as to when the proxy war is going to end. Okay, so all this raises uh, a question, obviously, a discussion which we haven't had about what the nature of Putin's aims are, what the nature of his regime is, and how Russian elites are responding to it. So I'm going to pass over to George. Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.